to Dollars and Cents, I'm Jonathan Mitchell. New Zealand has been accused of being behind the times with its quarterly inflation data. Last month, the latest reading fell more than expected to below 7%, moving in the right direction for the Reserve Bank, which had earlier that month hiked the official cash rate a greater than expected 50 basis points. So would a monthly indicator have prevented that? To discuss HSBC's Paul Bloxham, Westpac's Michael Gordon and former Reserve Bank Assistant Governor John McDermott are on this panel. First to you, John. Why is New Zealand a bit of a lone wolf in having quarterly CPI inflation data? I, well, I'm not sure, but it clearly is. We're the only economy in the world that now has a quarterly CPI figure where most others have monthly numbers. And you would assume more information is always better. Well, you were part of a review a few summers ago now that looked at CPI. Was a monthly indicator mentioned all the way back then? It's mentioned frequently. Um, you know, often, you know, if you go back a, f- a few reviews from Stats New Zealand, we'll often say they don't have resources. It's not been a priority. You know, so uh, you can always you can always mention it, and it's always been one of those things that the IMF will come and visit and do a assessment of the New Zealand economy and puzzle why we are not up to international standards. And who would have to push it? Um, well, ultimately, it is a political decision. Somebody has to pay for it. Uh, it is a public good after all. Uh, and then they have to be see valuing, does that information help policymakers make their decisions more timely, more efficient, with less waste? You know, and, you know, are there other potential benefits to businesses and, and communities as a whole. Uh, Paul Bloxham, you're in Australia where there is a monthly indicator. How beneficial is that? Well, we were, like New Zealand, uh, one of the only countries out there that only had a quarterly measure until late last year when the ABS, the Bureau of Statistics, decided to start publishing what they're calling a CPI indicator. It's not actually a monthly CPI it is an indicator of the CPI in the sense that it doesn't cover the whole sample of goods and services that are in the quarterly CPI each month. In fact, the first uh, each month it's only got 43% of the components. The final month it then sums up all of them and it's the same as the quarterly. But the bottom line is it's an indicator. It's a timely guide to what's going on. It is useful and we found it useful already. I mean, what we've been trying to do here in Australia, and I guess a lot of countries are doing it as well, is trying to pick the point where inflation has passed its peak. Uh, And over the past couple of months, the indicator we got for January and then for February helped us to give a pretty good sense that actually inflation had peaked in the fourth quarter of last year. And then just today, uh, this morning, we got the, the first quarter print for inflation and the quarterly measure has peaked the monthly measure had given us that guidepost already and that so so i think it's already uh, a useful indicator for what's going on but it's not quite a monthly cpi like we've got in a lot of other developed economies in fact if you look across the world most countries have got a monthly cpi our two countries are actually quite unusual for having uh, the, the less timely uh, official indicators do you think that monthly indicator fed into the reserve bank of australia's decision to pause I think it certainly helped um, them to be a bit more confident about being able to pause in early April uh, because they had seen a couple of indications already that inflation had peaked. It was their forecast. 
but they weren't completely sure of it. But that indicator, I, I suspect, would have been one of the things that contributed to their choice to pause. And now that, of course, they've, they know that the quarterly measure has also peaked, um, and, and in fact, the monthly measure has lost even more momentum in March, um, I think that you know, the likelihood is they'll, 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 remain on, they'll remain paused for the moment. But yes, I think it certainly contributed, uh, it you know, it's certainly likely to have contributed to the way they think about uh, uh, what they would do with policy. But your argument is the data needs to be reliable. And do you think this monthly indicator is reliable enough? It's quite volatile at the moment, and that's because it doesn't reflect the whole of the CPI sample each month. But, I mean, I, also the ABS has told us that they have plans to expand upon this. This is the beginning, right? This is an experimental measure that's got a, 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 is a partial sample for each of the, each of the months. Um, and over time, they will add in more and more sources of data and build out to head towards something like a monthly CPI like we have in, as I say, a lot of the rest of the developed world. But as John pointed out, and rightly so, I mean, this is a this is this requires resources. It requires uh, a political decision to spend more money in in that direction for this to be deemed as something that's important enough to warrant uh, the Statistics Bureau spending more money on it. It had been long the case in Australia that uh, there'd been uh, you know economists, but also uh, the central bank itself had been saying it'd be great if we had a monthly CPI, and it took many years for them to get around to actually starting to move in that direction, which they're now doing in in a fairly in, in a fairly clear way. Michael Gordon, why is New Zealand behind other nations then? I think it's effectively um, resourcing. It could be done. And I'm um, sorry, apologies. My motion sensors are going haywire in this room. Um, but um, it, I mean, it, it can be done. And in fact, actually, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, the Australian uh, monthly CPI, it's, it's really not involving any extra data collection. It's really just um, releasing what they do collect in a more staggered way. So there, there are within the CPI some things that are measured monthly, so um, food, uh, rents, um, airfares, I think here. Um, some stuff is even weekly, like petrol prices. Uh, and then there's a bunch of stuff that's only measured once a quarter um, because um, it's just it's usually more intensive. It might be you know having to send a survey to businesses and it's about um, sort of minimising the, the burden on them or... or, or the um, hopefully keeping up the response rates. Um, so that, that happens both here in Australia. Um, Stats had actually um, uh, a few years back had come up with a proposal to do something like what Australia is, is doing now. So um, sort of releasing things in a staggered way. So for instance, um, within a March quarter, um, January would only be the monthly stuff. February would be the monthly and quarterly. Uh, March would just be monthly stuff and so on. Um, and the response from, I think, the, the economist community was there was just not a lot of interest in something that didn't actually have um, more information and would potentially just be adding noise to the picture. Um, that said, this was at a time when inflation wasn't really doing anything interesting. So you, you might well get a different response today. But basically, the only um, obstacle to doing that um, would probably just be the funding for it. But is there a risk that if it's monthly... You you might become too reactive to the numbers? Um, there is, you know, the, the, the temptation to micromanage could be greater. I mean, that said, a lot of other countries do have monthly ones and they central banks mainly um, seem to resist that temptation. Maybe there's a little bit of um, sort of um, flip-flopping um, from month to month, uh, depending on what those numbers are doing. But generally speaking, um, that's, it might not be, you know, it may not be um, neither here nor there in the scheme of things. 
Um, I mean, the issue, and I suppose this is where, I mean, to make it a debate, you've got to have someone taking the other side. And I'm not going to say, no, we shouldn't have a monthly one, but um, I, I think I would maybe challenge how much additional value would get out of it. Um, for, for the Reserve Bank's um, purposes, I mean, monetary policy is really something they have to set today with what, um, you know, what conditions are going to be, or they think they're going to be like, uh, you know, a year or two ahead. That's kind of the, the lag of the impact there. So um, the, I guess the question is getting, you know, getting a monthly CPI, so getting more frequent updates on your starting point, is that going to help them to understand what inflation pressures are like in two years' time? Um, it's, a, it's a fairly long bow to draw. So I think at, at best, you might get a little bit more timeliness in terms of um, things moving slightly earlier, but it's actually, I think it's really more critical about, um, you know, getting policy right over the course of a cycle rather than um, whether they, uh, you know, they make the right decision at any one meeting. Uh, actually, right at the moment, I think that we've really had a, a, an indication where a monthly a monthly indicator has, has has really helped because if you're trying to pick the turning point and it, that turning point in your indicator is sort of critical as to whether you, what policy decision you make, um, just that little bit more information probably helps you along. And there's no, you know, you, you, by getting a monthly CPI or a monthly CPI indicator, you, you can still choose to focus on the quarterly measures, on the broader measures. You can still choose to average it for three months and focus on a three-month moving, moving, moving average measure of inflation. You can still calculate a, a, a trimmed mean, a weighted median, an underlying measure, a core measure, and you can do all those things. In fact, you ought to, to get a good sense of the pulse of inflation. But I think more information in this regard, at least, is 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 better. I, I understand that. I always understand the noise argument. I think it's it's more. Uh, you can make more of an argument that the more the central bank speaks, maybe they get to a point where it's more noise than signal. Um, but in terms of data, I think you know, it's still. It, it, I would still argue that it's better to have more rather than less. Uh, and the important point is, if you only if you're only collecting data on a quarterly basis, occasionally you get rogue numbers. And so now you get a number that you're not sure about, you have to wait three months for clarification. That is a long time in policy making. So, and it's not gonna be all the time, but, but it's one of those things you want to avoid. And if you add monthly incoming information, you get one month that's a bit off. You can say, well, not sure about it. I can wait one month, that's easy. But waiting three months creates the potential for a policy delay that's unwarranted. So that is a problem. And then, and you have to ask, but what's the cost-benefit analysis? How much does this actually really cost? We said it's more resources, and it is, but it isn't that much. You know, we're, we're, not, we're talking hundreds of thousands. We're not talking millions of dollars. Uh, and, and then we're talking about the consequences for the whole of the nation, uh, decisions for all mortgage holders, uh, businesses, you know, because interest rates are, are flipped on this. Uh, budget decisions are flipped on this. So... Um, at a time, and I think um, Michael might have suggested, look, when inflation was low, nobody cared because the potential benefits just seemed tiny. But right now, I think the benefits are huge, and we should be planning for future times when when this really matters. To, to, to John's point, um, I mean, I, I worry more about rogue quarters for activity measures than for prices. Um, so um, if the budget was there, I'd much rather have a monthly GDP than a monthly CPI. Um, or oh, if I had to choose between them. Um, but I think, I mean, my, I guess my point is that, um, I mean, the, the additional value of them, 
um, I mean, you get central banks moving slightly earlier, but it's it, it's marginal gains. I think if you maybe if you do a bit of a counterfactual, so you cast your mind back to 2021, um, we had year to March 2021 inflation here was still one and a half percent. It was below the middle of the target range. Um, so they, you know, we got that number published in April 21. Um, by July, so just three months later, the Reserve Bank had decided that inflation was a problem and it was time to act. They um, ended the bond buying program, signaled they were likely to start hiking, um, would have done it in August and probably would have done 50 points right off the bat, uh, were it not for the Delta lockdown happening on exactly the same day. Um, so if you think about a counterfactual, what if they'd had a monthly CPI at the time? Um, maybe the March month would have been starting to tick higher and signal that something was going on. Maybe that would have prompted them to hike in July instead of August. Um, but they would have hiked once in July, had the lockdown and paused anyway. So we're really talking about the, the entire cycle probably would have been advanced by a grand total of six weeks if they'd had a monthly CPI. That's what I, that's, that's what I mean in terms of not saying we shouldn't have it. More information is always better, but I think the, um, some of the claims about the benefits um, of it, um, I feel, are being overstated. No, just just picking up on Michael, the other point, it's just not central banks that are looking at this. It's all financial market participants. And a lot of policy looks through expectations. And so they're forming expectations of what's happening, what's going on in the underlying economy, and how are they reacting to that. And policy works through shifting those expectations. So, you know, we're also calming, you know, just by having more information and updating ruling out some of those rogue numbers or smoothing through it just allows the markets to anticipate what policymakers are going to be thinking. So it's, it, it's just more, it is yeah. more than policymakers that will need and use this information. Yeah. Another, another oh, way to frame this is that you already have things like monthly indicators of food prices. You have some partials you get uh, that in some ways then get extrapolated out uh, because you sort of look at those figures and think, well, what does that mean for the implica its implications for the headline CPI. So, you know, there are parallels with things that you already get that actually provide, if you like, either signal or noise. You still have to interpret them at this point. Um, I, I guess the argument I'm, I'm, I'm standing by is just more information is better. And, and then it's for the market and for the policymakers to determine which bit of it is signal and which bit of it is noise. I mean, New, New Zealand, um, and this is where Australia didn't have those, those monthly um, kind of um, indicators before um, the official stats version came along here. I mean, here we've got, we get food prices monthly, that's 20% of the CPI. We get rents monthly, that's another 10%. Um, we can observe fuel prices just as well as stats can, that's another 5% or so. Um, there's a bunch of things that only get reviewed once a year, so 11 months out of 12, you can confidently plug them in as a zero. You're actually getting pretty close to, we already get almost half of the CPI on a monthly basis anyway. Um, and I, I think to some degree, it's, it's actually incumbent on folks like me to actually be uh, you know, updating our, um, you know, our forecasts uh, as we go to incorporate that and, and communicate this idea of, hey, given the, you know, the information we've been getting, uh, it looks like, you know, the CPI for the March quarter is starting to look more like a 1.3 instead of a 1.5 or something like that. So there's, there's a communication aspect, um, you know, and it's sort of, we, you know, we can fill that role. The, the Reserve Bank's necess not necessarily going to be filling that role because they're not going to be um, reporting on how their CPI forecast is revolving every time they get a new piece of information. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a little bit of gap in the market. It's always nice to have that stamp of officialness if it's coming from 
um, the stats agency or if it's coming from the RB, but it's it's not like there's an there's a there's an information vacuum going on there. So Michael, looking at the Reserve Bank's decision it made earlier in April, it was looking at inflation data that date back to January. How helpful was that when it was deciding on the OCR? Um, well, look, if, if they'd had a monthly indicator, if they, I guess if they'd had a bit more of a heads up on how that March quarter number was going to turn out, um, then, you know, you could say maybe they would have done a 25-point hike instead of a 50. Um, look, I mean, that's, to be honest, look, that's a big deal for economists because we like bragging rights. Um, it's a big deal for people in markets who have, might have millions of dollars riding on any one OCR decision. For the wider economy, it's neither here nor there. What's more important is that they get the general path of interest rates uh, right, whatever, I mean, right as I guess is in time defined in terms of whether they, they meet their inflation target in a reasonable period of time. But, you know, frankly, I'd be less worried about what they did in April um, than I would be about, um, you know, whether they get the timing right for when they can start taking the foot off the brake. Um, if, you know, there's a, there's a risk of, of, I think, you know, there's a, there, there is a real risk of them leaving that too late and not being able to, um, you know, avoid a, a deeper recession. There's also a risk that maybe they haven't done enough. But, you know, the, the last decision for, for the, you know, in, in, for most people is just, it's, it's neither here nor there, I think. Um, the other aspect is, uh, I mean, they're, they're looking at their forecasts. So, um, you know, you can say, yes, um, you know, the March quarter didn't quite live up to what they thought. Um, to be honest, they were padding their forecast anyway because they were sick of getting surprised to the to the upside. Um, so, um, you know, what their real forecast was and, and what they're setting policy on, I'm not sure it was quite that that 7.3 anyway. Um, but you know, they've had other stuff going on in the meantime. They've got this issue of the um, cyclone uh, rebuild work going to be several billions of dollars being pumped into the economy. What's the inflationary impact of that? So, I actually think that their decision was uh, was more weighted towards what they their concern about um, this fresh um, spending, this fresh stimulus coming through in the future, not what prices are doing in the first three months of the year. I still stand by this. You would, if you knew more at the time, you can factor it in. Whether you decide to use it, you make a policy decision based on that information or not, is can be determined based on. It's still better to have more information than less, uh, surely. Um, and and had they had that information, maybe it would have swayed them one way or the other. But it might also it, it also factors into the forecasts. The forecasts are often, as we know, very difficult in the medium for medium term forecasting. A lot of it comes down to now casting. A lot of it is about now casting and then projecting that forward and looking for the trends because you know in in, in, in the current data in order to try and project them forward. Um, so I still think it would be handy to have just a bit more information. It seems to be global best practice as well. It does seem that most countries have uh, monthly monthly CPIs. So um, you know, I think the point made earlier that a lot of the information already exists um, just plays to the point that actually if it already exists, then it may, might be worth taking that a small additional step of summing it together and coming up with a, a more timely overall read that's appropriately weighted. And John? Yeah, thank you. I, look, I think the, the actual resource cost of doing this is pretty small in the, in the scheme of a large economy. Um, and the benefits will vary over time. Sometimes you won't get much benefit at all. Other times it will be hugely important uh, and it will reduce some of the uncertainty that, that exists. And I think the other thing is um, our international reputation matters. Uh, it is curious that we're one of the only countries um, we, 
not an international best practice, and that gets mentioned every time there's an IMF report. And it's an easy problem to solve. Why don't we just solve it? It, it, is, I mean, it is easy in a way to throw the money at it, but I mean, for, unfortunately, stats agencies are always having to plead for every additional dollar. Um, uh, and, and actually, I mean, my understanding is in Australia that they started doing the monthly CPI um, because the ABS um, ditched a, a house price measure and that sort of freed up some budget for them. So, um, that, you know, it, it, it wasn't happening because of an increase in their budget. They had to make room for it somewhere else. Um, so, you know, it would be nice if they just got more money to do their job well, um, but the reality of it is there's often these, these trade-offs that get, that get put up um, to say, well, if you're going to do more of this, um, what are you going to do less of? Yeah, it's important Important. to prioritise what which bits you want to focus on. I think uh, in Australia's case, we've got some very, very... Lobby the Minister of Stacks, basically. We've got some very good, timely private sector uh, house price indicators, um, and that's why, and that's 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 what means that you know there's certainly the Statistics Bureau is able to focus more on the on 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 some of the other indicators, but we don't have as as timely a private sector indicators. Yeah, not something New Zealand can sacrifice because we don't have an official house price series. So they can add that to the wish list. Uh, be kind of nice to have monthly retail sales figures as well. Uh, I've got a long list of w- wishes uh, to improve New Zealand's data. And Paul, in terms of where the Reserve Bank of Australia is heading, um, a review, recent review has found that it may cut the number of reviews each year. What implications does that have for the monthly inflation data? Yeah, so that's right. The RBA has just gone through a once-in-a-generation review of its practices. It hasn't had one since at least uh, the beginning of inflation targeting 30 years ago, essentially. Um, and it's it's broad-sweeping. It's a 300-page document. It's got 51 recommendations. So this is just one of the things that it's recommending. The, the one that's of primary interest that's really uh, caught everyone's attention is the, 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 the recommendation to restructure the board, that the... the existing board, you'd, that they would set up two boards, a monetary policy committee as well as a governance board, rather than have that all done by the existing board and, and bring in more monetary expert, monetary policy experts, more economists on to, into the into the decision-making process. That's the primary thing that's a, that, that's that's really afoot a, a in that in the set of recommendations. But as you say, there is one other element, and that is the, the review suggested that the RBA shift from having 11 meetings a year, as it does at the moment, to having eight meetings a year instead. Um, again, it's probably a shift in the direction of sort of global practice. Most central banks meet either six or eight. It's not It's not 11, certainly not as frequently as the RBA. In fact, the RBNZ obviously meets every six weeks rather than every four. Um, and so I guess it, it, it in the context of do you need a more timely indicator if you're meeting less frequently? Um, perhaps not. Um, but, you know, a, again, these are sort of different choices you can make. I think more information is better. And I think you can argue that the RBA maybe should keep doing 11 meetings a year, but then you could also say maybe it's just that little bit too frequent, particularly at times when there's not a lot happening. There, there can be long stretches of time where the central bank isn't doing much and, every, and, and for them to have to go through the whole process on a monthly basis is a lot of resources involved. And I think that's primarily what the review suggested that actually a slightly less, slightly less frequency for the meetings and decisions would mean they'd be able to, that it would be less resource intensive, and they'd be able to devote themselves to other, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to the, to the process, perhaps more actively, in a broader sense, rather than all the reporting that's involved at a month on a monthly level. 
A final word to you, Michael Gordon. Um, well, it, it's, it, as I said, I think there's, you know, it's always nice to have more information. Um, I, I think if you sort of look back on where central banks have made errors, it's not, it, it hasn't really been through, um, you know, coming down to the timeliness of the data. It's, you know, more often than not, um, it can be, you know, more substantial misreadings of the economy. It can be more ideological biases. Um, um, I mean, I, I sort of going back again to another sort of period in history. I mean, we had through the 2010s, it was inflation was um, below 2% almost the entire decade. Um, that wasn't because we weren't getting frequent enough updates on inflation. It was because there were decisions being made um, for various reasons um, to, um, you know, to, to not strive to get back towards 2%. I won't speak too much on John's behalf because he was there for some of that period. Um, but you know, when you get issues like, um, or oh, we 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 don't want to, um, you know, target inflation too strictly because we're worried about overstimulating the housing market. Once you start making those sort of judgments, then monthly or quarterly CPI outcomes, you know, don't, don't matter to the results. All right, Michael Gordon, Paul Bloxham, and John McDermott, thanks for your time. If you're hungry for more and want to join the discussion head over to nbr.co.nz. Thanks for listening.